0: The envelope, please. Oh, wait, no, not quite yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're just at the front end of things here. The nominations. I'm, I'm talking, of course, about the Academy Awards. Hey, everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show, focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Every year, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences rolls out its list of nominees for Best Picture, perhaps the most prestigious entertainment award handed out, well, anywhere. Most years, it's a mix of familiar movies and some dark horse indie contenders that many people may not be familiar with. But 2020 wasn't most years. It was the year COVID changed everything, including how and where people watch movies. This year, more so than most, the list of best picture contenders may even be more mysterious than normal. So today we're going to tell you a bit about several contenders in particular that managed to dodge content bullets and deliver some great messages about family. We'll also touch on some surprisingly spiritual threads in the best animated movie category. And because Oscars choices can often tend toward grim, difficult stories, we'll unpack how hard we should have to work as moviegoers to mine out the positive messages from messy stories. But before we do that, I've got one important announcement. We're currently in the last 24 hours or so of your window to vote in this year's Plugged In Movie Awards. You can find all 20 nominees in four different categories at our blog at PluggedIn.com. Vote in the comments section on our blog or at our Facebook and Instagram pages. We'll be announcing the winners of your votes in our blog tomorrow. So get out there and vote while you still have time. Joining me for our conversation today are... Paul Acey.
1: Emily Clark. Kristen Smith.
0: And Jonathan McKee. I have a very simple question. To get us started in our Oscar conversation today, or maybe it's not simple. I guess you will be the Mm. judge of that. Mm. What is your favorite Academy Award winning best picture winner of all time and why? And for those scoring at home, you have 92 films to go for. So if uh, if we have a repeat, I'm going to make you choose again. No pressure. (laughs) Yeah, that's
2: not a simple question. Yeah,
3: not a simple question. Not at all.
2: All right. Well, I still need an answer.
3: There's a lot of choices. There are a lot of choices. Ninety-two, as you said, and a lot of my favorite movies never. I I tend to like the movies that have been nominated for Best Picture, but never win.
1: So, what's yours? (laughs)
0: <laughs> thanks Kristen because it feels like there's a lot of dodging going on we really are a very direct question man th-
4: we're not asking so, what your favorite movie was we're asking what your favorite best picture winner was thank
0: you you go Emily all it's right. been so long since I asked the question Emily had to restate it
4: here you know what I'm going to help you out Paul I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer give my answer so that you can think about Oh, good, good.
0: I think Paul was almost favorite. ready to go, nice, nice save. No, I, go think,
4: I think he needs more time so <laughs> <laughs> as somebody who loves Lord of the Rings, of course, the instinct and what what people probably think I would say would be Return of the King. Right. So, However, I, I as much as I love that movie and I love that series, I so every single one of those movies was nominated for Best Picture. Return of the King, I feel like it won because they were like, oh, wait, we didn't give it to the other two well, we have to give it some sort of honor. And so they gave it to so Return true. of the King. I don't think Return of the King is the best of that trilogy, but it was still really good. I'm very happy at one, but it's not my favorite. My favorite is actually all about Eve.
3: Ooh. Which wow. is a Classic. black and
4: white picture. <laughs> and uh part of that is because when I was in college and I was on my I'm gonna watch every Oscar nominee <laughs> kick. Wow. That never happened, by the way. I did not I have not seen every Oscar nominee. There's a lot. Um I was on I was really into Betty Davis. I thought she was like the best actress of all time. I still think she might be. She's right up there with Meryl Streep for me. <laughs> um and that's so another she, question
0: for another podcast. Different
4: podcast, but she is the star <laughs> of All About Eve. Um and in the the dialogue in that movie, the the story itself, it's it's just so good. So that that would be my vote. All really about good. Eve. Are you ready, Paul?
3: Do you wanna go? No. Do you wanna go? Oh
4: curses. All right. I would –
3: some would also think that I might choose Return of the King because – So let me
0: get this straight. We're all secretly and not-so-secretly choosing Return of the King before we make a real choice.
3: Exactly.
2: (laughs) No, I'm not. I am going to go with
3: Schindler's List. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, 1993. This was the first movie that I think I saw that I really appreciated for its artistry you know, whatever that means within the context of movies. I, I, It is not a movie that you necessarily want to watch again and again because no. it's a really, really difficult movie. But but the art and the message and the way that the movie moved me uh, was, it, it, it's still very memorable to, to a young Paul Acey. I thought, and, and the fact that it was black and white. I hadn't seen a new movie made in black and white for a long time. So,
0: yeah, I thought it was great. It was a good one. Yeah, it was a remarkable staggeringly difficult
2: important movie mm-hmm. so hard yeah yeah oh man it was a good one and this this is a this is a difficult question man i mean this is this is hard i mean i'm sitting here thinking through even recently i mean there was some good ones like you know like green book and no country for old men and uh gosh i mean and forrest pick Gump. one please <laughs> Return of the King uh, The Godfather yeah. Driving Return Miss of Daisy the King I mean there's exactly too many available, There's remarkably. too many Okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Unforgiven uh, I just wow. It's, wow. It's, it's one of my favorites Of all time uh, Clint Eastwood Has directed some great ones And Clint Eastwood I'll be honest Is hit and miss With his pictures But this one was just I mean you got Him and Morgan Freeman And uh, it was just You had me so, at Morgan Freeman Yeah really? Yeah It was so amazing. It was so well-written. It was very real. Um, It was uh, obviously, you know, it was violent, but it didn't, um, it wasn't gratuitous violence. It was actually, look at, this affects you. And uh, it it was very redemptive. And man, I tell you, it was, uh, um, for for me, I think it's, yeah, that's the one I'll have to name, Unforgiven.
1: Okay. Um, I have a lot of favorites, but I'm going to go ahead and, and pick 12 Years a Slave. Wow. Um, so I know good. So it good. was one of it is probably the hardest movie I've ever watched in my it's entire a tough life.
0: Movie,
1: and I don't know if I could ever watch it again. But I wept for days after watching it, Ooh. and it's one of those movies like while you're watching it, you don't know if you want to watch it because you just like cringe the entire time. Um, but man, it was I don't know I, like if you if to me if I can remember that many scenes in a movie so clearly all these years later, and it still gives me the same feeling. That's probably a, probably a good pick.
3: Yeah, and I think that's the illustration of, of a really worthy Best Picture yeah. winner, right? Something yeah. that makes you stays think, with you. feel makes you cry for days, as you say. Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. a good movie. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I'm not going to pick Return of the King, but oh I my feel goodness. like I had to. I can't believe it went this long. I, feel I know. Like, I feel like this is a movie draft, and nobody drafted Return of the King. In this <laughs> room full even though of he geeks. was, it was number two for everybody apparently, or <laughs> indeed not, jo- not Jonathan. Uh, I am going to take us all the way back to 1944, and I'm going to resist the urge to quote lines we all know, and go with Casablanca. So which is, good. I mean, when I saw it the first time, I'm like holy cow, who knew there were movies this good before Star Wars? And in fact, <laughs> wow. I've seen one or two movies before Star Wars since then. Um, I mean, it, it's just remarkable it how is. Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman just do their thing. And I mean, it's it's mostly dialogue. Obviously, there's there's a little bit of, of action that happens, but you could almost stage it as a play mm-hmm. and it yeah. would work. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, I mean, all of these films are are worthy of... Of consideration. Some of them we are recent enough that we have reviewed. So you can always check them out at PluggedIn.com and find out what you need to know ahead of time. I think especially with 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, man, there's some there's some pretty harsh stuff in 12 Years a Slave. Oh, yeah. Maybe not the best date night movie unless you want to cry for days and days. But um, that's why I always look for in a date to be able to cry for days. (laughs) Right. You guys are
1: heartless. (laughs) Let's move on.
0: Let's move on. I think Kristen has has the right of it here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the nominees are out for the 93rd Annual Academy Awards. They were actually announced Monday this week. And I'm going to list them off in alphabetical order. They are. The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. And as often the case with the Oscars, we have a mix of inspiring, powerfully crafted stories with some that tell grittier tales that are really solidly in R-rated territory. That restrictive rating might actually be surprising to some, but over the last 25 years or so, roughly 50% of Oscar's Best Picture nominees have earned an R rating, and I know because last year I counted them up because I was curious how often Oscar tends in this direction. and. The answer is quite frequently, Um, and you'll find full reviews of all of these movies at PluggedIn.com, but I wanted to start today by focusing on two films in this list that earned a PG-13 rating, and both have some pretty powerful things to say about family, and here we're going to spotlight our very own Mr. Paul Acey just a little bit, because as it turned out, Paul reviewed both of those films. They are The Father and Minari. So I'm gonna start with you today, Paul. Both of these stories are are pretty simple from a plot perspective, but pretty rich and complex in terms of character development and, and some of the relationships we see. So. What do we need to know about these two movies, and what content concerns might there be for families that are interested in them?
3: I think you, you actually grasp the heart of both of these movies really well. We, we nominated both of them for our Best Movies for Adults for our Plugged In Movie Awards, and, yep. and I think that the honor is really well-deserved. I'm going to start off with Minari, because that's more the traditional family movie. It's told through the eyes of a seven-year-old boy, and, it, and it's really the story—it's a truly American story about these immigrants who come to rural Arkansas to start a farm. The, the father is really excited about doing it. The mom is not so sure. She brings over her own mom, her, the grandma of the story, from, from Korea to watch the kids.
0: And the couple has come from Southern California, correct? Correct,
3: correct. But they, they still speak Korean. The, the entire movie, most of the movie, is actually in subtitles, which is sort of unusual for a movie that takes place yeah. in rural Arkansas. But, <laughs> but it's a beautiful story of, of family Family dynamics relationship there's obviously some some huge tension between all these different parties trying to not only assimilate to a new culture but in some ways assimilate to this new person in their lives Um, it's a beautiful resonant poignant story Um, the father also has a lot of poignancy to it it's a very different sort of family story in that the the father is old he is dealing with dementia. He's suffering from from his, his brain is just slowly diminishing.
0: And he's played by Anthony Hopkins, correct? Played by
3: Anthony Hopkins. He he is cared for by his daughter, who is played by Olivia Colman, who just won an Academy Award herself. Um, it it's a very very powerful, somewhat triggering movie for people who have dealt with yeah. with dimension in their own lives, because it's such a realistic portrayal of the suffering that both the father and the daughter go through. Um, but I think it really brings these
0: issues to to the forefront. Now, when it comes to the content in both of these, they're both PG-13. So obviously, there must be a little bit of stuff there. What do families need to know about what they might encounter?
3: When you're talking about Minari, you have some language issues that you need to be aware of. The grandma is a little bit foul-mouthed, and although she does all of her swearing in Korean, it's nicely subtitled for you. You have some some other uh, little profanity issues, and there is a scene where uh, we'll just say some urine plays an important role in the film. Um, In The Father, you really just have to worry about the language. You you have one instance of, of a little bit of violence, but for the most part, it's, it's all about language. And I do think that you have one F word that, that's a part of the So it's the not screenplay.
0: like an assault or anything. No, it's just it's, here and there. It,
3: it, what was really gratifying to me in both of these movies is that they really concentrated on the story. They didn't lean on yeah. gratuitous content to make a point or to grab your attention. It was all about the story, all about the characters. And the content that we see feels in, in some ways, obviously not to minimize the content because it's always important, but I think for a lot of families or a lot of people who are wanting to watch these movies, it might be something that could be navigable. Check out our reviews for sure to make sure. But, but I think that that the story itself warrants warrants consideration. Well, and I
0: think especially with the father, I, I think this is a a great example of a relatively accessible story. It's not so drenched in content that you're flinching or covering your eyes, which. Frankly, there have been a few Oscar Best Picture nominees, more than a few over the years. It's like, that was a really good movie, but I never want to see that again. Some of the nominees (laughs) this year, you know. Um, (laughs) But this feels like a movie about a really important and a difficult issue. I mean, we've got a huge baby boomer generation that's moving in this direction. And um, I know the dementia issue is a strange one because there seems to be kind of a almost a shame about it. Like we don't often, it it can be a difficult issue to talk about. And I think a movie like this one could be a jumping off point for a conversation if this is something that you're dealing with in your family. Well, I think it really could be.
3: It's also one of those movies that people who are dealing with this issue very closely can relate to, to, but also might be aware of because it can really dredge up some some difficult emotions. That's not necessarily a reason to avoid it, but it's something to be cautious about. And it does deal both so sensitively with with both of the main characters involved. Mm. I think that, that the dignity that it brings both to the father who is slowly losing his ability to cope with the world around him and his daughter who suffers through this watching her father sort of lose his mind over time exactly. it's a it's a beautiful but incredibly
0: difficult movie to watch so this would might be a one watcher too <laughs>
3: well it, it might be I've, I've actually been debating whether you know my wife and i are going to see it because as you say it's fairly navigable the acting is tremendous the story is very powerful but it it deals with some issues that are pretty close to our home and i i don't know whether because of that whether it would just be too painful for 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 us to watch together
0: yeah Well, two of the other films nominated for Best Picture this year deal with the issue of racism, and they're based on the historical events that took place in the 1960s and 70s. And those movies are Judas and the Black Messiah and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, we're not going to unpack those in the same way we've just talked about Minari and The Father. You can find everything you need to know in our reviews. But I think it's safe to say that both of these films are seeking to tell stories from those eras. In ways that are relevant to our own time. And depending on how you see those films, you may end up cheering or you may end up throwing something at the screen uh, (laughs) because you may or may not agree with their political perspectives. But here's where I want to go with this conversation. What do you think viewers need to keep in mind whenever we watch a movie that seeks to represent a quote unquote true story from the past?
4: I think we just have to remember that you're essentially listening to somebody else's story. If you were sitting down with these people who lived through this experience and they were just telling you their life story, you'd probably listen to it slightly differently because they're giving you a first-person perspective. Yeah, you're not good. getting a first-person perspective when you whenever you watch a movie about a true story. You're getting an interpretation, perhaps, good of point. a first-person yep. e- perspective but you're not actually you're not sitting down in the same room as the person who lived it and they're telling you their tale and giving you their emotions and how they felt you're just getting whatever the directors and the writers and the producers interpreted from that story so to be fair it's always going to be slightly biased because you're not hearing it firsthand you're hearing it second or third hand perhaps even
1: I think this is an interesting question because I was thinking this is might seem weird but i remember in in school celebrating columbus day and then moving to argentina and living there and Mm. and learning historically what happened and i'm like why do we celebrate
0: this day are you are you throwing columbus under the boat i
1: really am like i'm just very confused (laughs) as to like
4: dude right like
1: why are we holding such like esteem to these things so i think to your point emily like each person has a different perspective and history has been written in so many different ways from so yep. many different people's perspectives. Yep. So I think that's super interesting.
2: Well, and and, and that's kind of cool too, is when you actually get the facts about something too, because right. yeah. we don't have the facts and we make our assumptions, you know, not with the facts. I think some directors are really good at bringing us back to certain times. And, uh, you know, especially as we're talking about some of the racial tensions and stuff, I think Spike Lee does a great job. Uh, this year, he he actually had a film that, and let's be honest, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Um, the, You know, most of us when we're listening to the list of movies this year, when I look at lists of movies for 2020, I go, I don't recognize most of these films. <laughs> I mean, there's, I think most of us are like looking at 2020. I mean, I think I saw like three films in 2020 because we were all at home, huddled in front of Netflix, you know? Yeah. I mean, so it, it is kind of a bizarre year for sure. Um, but Spike Lee, I think, is a director who has again and again um, taken us back to certain times, and 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 he, back in 2018, had a story that we at Focus on the Family should be familiar with because it's about that uh, police officer, that African American police officer from Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. who managed to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan branch, um, and he had to help a vote like this Jewish friend, and uh, it was based on actual events. And it was the thing I like about Spike Lee is he sometimes brings you back. He um kind of uh, attacks an issue but he brings humor to it he's an incredible filmmaker i mean and when you go back to the best films uh do the right thing you go back to the 1980s what an amazing film um and he does that again and again with his films where he brings you back he touches on an issue and you walk out and it makes you think and i love that i love it when a film makes you think
3: and I wanted to go back to something that actually you said as you were introducing this question which is the idea that these movies in some ways are made today because the people who are making them feel they are relevant today Mm -hmm. and so because they're trying to tell more of a story than give history they're going to shape that narrative in a way that will resonate with us which means that certain certain areas of history are going to be cherry picked. Uh, Certain areas of history are going to be left out in order to create this story. That doesn't make these movies unviable or uh, unwatchable or or take away from their narrative power, but it is something that we have to be aware of that, that, as Emily says, we're not necessarily watching a true representation of history.
0: Well, and I think to the extent that they're catalysts to provoke us in a good way to dig deeper into history, it can be a really good thing. Uh, but I also I also think that we need to watch with discernment. And we often talk about discernment from a spiritual point of view, you know, recognizing things that are spiritually untrue, or just recognizing content that may impact us spiritually in a negative way. You know, we we talk about sexuality, we talk about language, we talk about gratuitous violence. But I think that this is another way that we need to practice discernment, which is to understand that all of these stories have a point of view and are an interpretation, as Emily said. And so... Uh, We don't just passively sit back and let them sink in. Uh, We really need to think through them. And it's another reason why actively engaging with story is so important. And there are some movies that if you're just going to sit back and passively watch them, they might even be on the dangerous side because you might passively take in an idea that's really damaging. And I'm not talking about these two movies specifically. I'm just talking in general. But if you're actively engaged and thinking about it and ready to have a conversation, you can kick those things around. And that completely changes the way you watch and experience movies. And I think it changes the way they potentially influence you as well.
3: And I think that these movies are meant to be talked about. I mean, that's one of the designs that 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 is sort of built in with these particular narratives. People, they the directors want to get people talking. Uh, Jonathan mentioned Spike Lee. I think that that's one of the things that he does very well as he
0: sparks conversation. Yep. Well, I want to broaden our conversation just a bit and talk about this year's animated movie category and the movies that were nominated for Best Animated Picture. When I take a look at that list, and I'm sure that this is a category that, frankly, families might be a lot more interested in than a bunch of think pieces that they've never heard of, um, I noticed a really interesting common thread this year, really among all of them. And those movies are two Pixar movies, Onward and Soul. It feels like Pixar is maybe being greedy this year. (laughs) Uh, Over the Moon, Uh, which is a Chinese, it's not a Chinese movie, but it certainly draws from Chinese mythology. Wolf Walkers, which is a story set in Ireland that deals with people who sort of shapeshift into wolves. uh, And a Shaun the Sheep movie, Armageddon. Now, uh, which, frankly, <laughs> we have not I, yet reviewed, I can't, I can't, even, now that I can't it's even on the listen list, to, that we without need laughing. to get to it. I know. <laughs> on one level or another, all of these animated films are dealing with spiritual themes and ideas, which I think is, is pretty interesting. Why do you think there was such an explosion of spiritually oriented kids films this year?
1: I was thinking that maybe it's because we slowed down. <laughs> I mm. mean, 2020 was such a hard year. I have like memories that I go back to having a baby brand new and then a toddler thinking I never want to experience that again, but like being locked <laughs> in a house and not being able to go anywhere. Um, but it was also, <laughs> it, was,
0: great, Kristen. it
1: was, it was really stressful guys. <laughs> um, but it was also a time where everything just kind of slowed down. where schedules were different. We kind of had time to have more like deeper conversations. And I think maybe that probably people were drawing from that, which I think is how we're meant to live anyway.
3: I think it also expresses just an innate desire that we all have for some sort of spiritual transcendence. I mean, Mm. that sounds kind of geeky, but as, as the culture grows more secular, the desire to seek God, to seek something higher than ourselves—I don't think we ever lose that. And I—I I think in some ways, when you look at kids, they might feel it more keenly than, than even we adults who do have busy schedules, who have so many distractions to keep us distracted. Um, kids, it feels like a lot of distraction. <laughs> kids, it, it feels like sometimes you can you can open yourself up to to, to greater realities.
4: I think that another reason, perhaps, that things seem to be drifting more spiritually... I feel like I've seen a trend, maybe not even just this last year with um, with COVID and everything, but, but possibly within the last two or three years. I feel like I've seen a trend where people seem to be like, we need to be accepting of all types of spiritualities and religions and stuff. And so it's almost like they, in their... In, in the new generation's need to accept everybody for whatever choices they make, it's almost like they're starting to examine it themselves and be like, wait, what do I believe? And I, I kind of think that these movies are a reflection of that, of like, hey, what do you believe? Like, do you, you know, what do you drift towards? Do you think that there is a higher power? And I think it's just a reflection of that mindset of like, oh, now that we're accepting all these religions, maybe I should actually examine and see what I believe and what I Think it's true?
3: I think Emily brings up a fantastic point, and it reminds me that we should just mention that that a lot of these movies, they're very spiritually based,
4: but they're not Christian. But they're not they're Christian. Not truth.
3: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so, as as they sort of experiment with with some of their spiritual thoughts, it's something that 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 families need to be aware of for sure.
0: Well, and Paul, I want to go back to something you said about transcendence in our secular culture. I think our secular culture makes lots of promises that it can satisfy us. And and yet the stuff of this earth, uh, to borrow and paraphrase Rich Mullins just a little bit, is never going to satisfy our souls. And so there is this longing to find meaning that it leaks out all over the place. And it, honestly, even in movies that are not explicitly spiritual, you know, if you want to look at things through that lens, yep. you can probably find something in almost every movie about, well, what is what is transcendent? Where do I find meaning? How do I find satisfaction? But especially in these movies this year, uh, I think we see that tendency. And Emily, I I totally agree with what you're saying. It's all over the map in terms of the spiritual ideas Mm -hmm. that are being communicated here. And that leads me to my next question. What do we need to keep in mind as we potentially help our kids navigate the spiritual messages in some of these films if we decide to watch them together?
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of animated films, and not just animated ones um, for kids, but where these messages are all over the place. It's not just in Christian films. It's everywhere. And I think that's a really cool point, that we can look at something and say, that's a glimpse of heaven. That's a glimpse of God. And we can see it all over the place.
0: Yeah, and and it, it allows for... Um, I think, a sort of comparative religious analysis. uh, And that sounds really heady, but it boils down to something as simple as, how is that similar to what we believe? How is it different from what we believe? And in doing that, what we're doing is we're training our children to be thinking, contrasting, uh, critically engaging. And it means we don't have to be afraid of these things, Mm -hmm. but we do need to think about how the ideas may be different than what we believe and why that's important.
1: I think I like your point where you're saying we don't have to be afraid of these things. Cause I mean, it depends on, you know, how you grew up, but I know for me, I was sheltered from a lot of things, um, not in a negative way, just wasn't allowed to watch or listen to a lot of things. And as you grow older, you, that changes. Um, but I was able, especially in college, I took this creative nonfiction um, writing course where we talked about God and everything. And, and where did we see, God and Jesus in in everyday things, and that completely like blew my mind and was a really cool conversation. And I think that's even true of movies as we watch them, as as we're talking about how do we, how do we believe this? What how does it relate to what we believe? But to not say that it doesn't exist, you know, to acknowledge that it does exist.
2: Absolutely. And, and even though I'm the one who so often is saying, "Man, we need to, you know, look for conversations about the stuff that matters," and I guess. I'd love to also let parents off the hook that we don't need to force these conversations either, though, because, you know, you know, know you're watching, you you, you know, you're watching Anne of Green Gables and you're like, Anne is much like Mary, the mother of Jesus. (laughs) uh, You know, I mean, you're you're like trying to find some biblical application. She's kind of like Deborah, the judge. You know, I mean, it's you don't need to force it sometimes. This year, uh, my wife and I went and uh, we visited my son. My adult son. Wow, I'm getting old. 27 years old he is. <laughs> and, I wasn't going to uh, say anything, Jonathan. When, when but thank you. When he grew up, uh, when he grew up, he loved everything Sonic the Hedgehog. And this year, uh, even though no movies came out, the movie Sonic the Hedgehog came out, <laughs> and we just we were all laughing as we looked at these movie posters and we're like, "Let's go see it." So here we are, three adults you know, in our 20s and 50s. um, And we go to see Sonic the Hedgehog and we're in the theater with a bunch of little kids and we're laughing and enjoying the film. And we just had a good time watching just a dumb film and laughing together. And you know what? It was like one of the best moments we've had in a long time with my son, just hanging out and laughing. And you know what? That's okay.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that there is always a balance there between the freedom that we have in Christ to enjoy a great story. And sometimes it's as simple as that. And I think that we can, we can sit back, we can relax, we can enjoy being together. Um, and at the same time, being aware that everything that we watch has a worldview. Everything has a perspective. Everything is communicating that something has value. And to the extent that we're helping our kids, maybe they don't engage that, part of their brain or their soul all the time, but we don't just, you know, hit the off switch and put our brains, you know, in park, but that we're constantly or at least regularly engaging with the stories that we watch in a way that models that for our kids. That's good. Well, each year the Academy commends its nominations to us and then picks a single winner in each of its various categories. And similarly, we hope our conversation today has given you food for thought about what it looks like for you to pick winning movies for your family to watch together. And even when something is critically acclaimed, our responsibility as Christians and as parents is to consider that story's merits and problem areas through the lens of our faith. You know, our Plugged In team has sought to do that with our own nominations for the Plugged In Movie Awards this year, too. And if you haven't hustled over to vote for your favorite Well, why not? It's time. You can vote on our blog or on our Instagram and Facebook pages, and you've got just about a day left to do that. And tomorrow on our blog and in our special Plugged In Movie Awards podcast, you can see what we chose and what you chose. Well, we hope the Plugged In Show is a catalyst for you to go deeper in your thinking about how your family engages with technology and entertainment. So as a thank you for being a part of our Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we'd also love to send you a copy of our very own Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You can find a link to order that book, as well as links to everything else we have talked about here today in our Plugged In blog entry for this week's episode. Well, on behalf of our entire team, I want to say thanks so much for listening today. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show.